the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Let's get it underway for a Wednesday hump day, middle of the weekday. Uh, and we are a Wednesday and closer to Friday, closer, in fact, than we were on Monday when we were off and the snow came. And the snow is going to come again later today and into tomorrow. Just so you'll know, they're saying we could get up to three to six inches of, of more white accumulation over the next couple of days. So we'll just have to see uh, how it's all going to play out. Uh, got a couple of special guests with me today. They're brothers. Uh, Ed and Mike Monk are with us from Last Resort Firearms Training. And uh, we set this up a couple of weeks ago. And I got to tell you what, we couldn't have done it uh, better if we had really, really planned it. Because yesterday, well, not yesterday, it was Sunday, in fact. Uh, Sunday, President Biden used the uh, three-year anniversary of uh, Parkland uh, to uh, get out and start beating the drum again for gun control here in the United States. And he was calling on Congress. And then his press secretary verified yesterday in a press conference uh, that, yeah, the, the president would do it all through EO or executive order if necessary. Here's what he said that Congress should do. He said that uh, there should be background checks on all gun sales banning assault weapons now that means banning semi-automatic rifles uh, understand that that they consider that an assault weapon so your hunting rifle that you use that is uh, not bolt action or single shot would be considered an assault weapon and high capacity magazines and they want to and this i think is the biggest one eliminate immunity for gun manufacturers who knowingly put weapons of war on our streets. I just love the way they put that, weapons of war. That would be, um, you know, what they consider assault weapons, which are semi-automatic firearms. That would even include a a pistol, by the way. And so I got Ed and I've got Mike here to talk about this somewhat. I told them that we were going to talk Second Amendment, so let's get right into it. And, guys, this is really chilling now. I mean, they're coming out all guns blazing uh, on this one. Let's start it off with you, Ed. You're used to being on the show. Your thoughts, you've been saying that this was going to happen, uh, you know, if, uh, you know, the Democrat Party got back in control. And here it is right in our face. Yeah, this should be no surprise. This is stuff the Democrat Party and the liberals and the socialists push all the time, uh, and that they will 
push it mega style after a, a big shooting, and they don't have one of those right now, so they just do it on the anniversary of a big shooting to try to get people to act emotionally instead of logically. Um, yeah, and you mentioned the weapons of war. Well, a musket what yeah. was a, a weapon of war when we started. Uh, the 1911 pistol, which is over 100 years old, was a weapon of war throughout most of uh, the 20th century. So they're going to push it. And the thing is, uh, you know, the, the Democrats have a very, very slim majority in the Senate, but there's always probably if enough pressure, emotional and political pressure is put on, uh, just like we saw some Republicans go the other way during the impeachment fiasco, there will be some Republicans uh, that will be pressured uh, or bribed into supporting it. So they're always going to push it to try to satisfy their base and to get a little bit of traction. Whether or not it'll pass, uh, I, I don't know. It'll have a better chance of passing if they could wait and really push and time it after a big shooting. Uh-huh. And all they need is a majority. It's not like the impeachment or a filibuster. All they need is a simple majority in both houses. And, of course, all this comes uh, after we've had two Supreme Court cases that say, in fact, that ownership of, of guns is a constitutional right. But they don't care. They're, they do not care. They're going to pass. They're going to try to pass it anyway. This would be the equivalent of saying, well, we're going to ban uh religions that are just extreme, even though the First Amendment clearly says they can't do that. They don't care. Um, And the lawsuit thing, I've seen this coming because even pro-gun people tend to forget what happened. Um, The cities and the states were organizing to file lawsuit after lawsuit after lawsuit against the gun companies, and they openly said, we don't really have to win any lawsuit. We'll just keep filing lawsuits using the money of the cities and the states, tax dollars to do it, which is unlimited. And the gun companies cannot defend against that many lawsuits. We'll bleed them dry in legal fees. And the only thing that stopped that was Republican Congress and President Bush II that passed the law preventing that. And all it's going to take is, is passing another law to remove that protection. And they will again begin starting to file lawsuits to bleed the gun companies, and then they won't even have to ban them. They'll just run them out of business by using lawsuits. Yeah, I, I, let's let's try to get everybody to understand what this immunity on uh, gun manufacturers is all about. These are the people who say, because you make a product and somebody uses the product in an unlawful way, that doesn't matter. You're still responsible for making the product. I mean, that's that's what they're basically saying. And thus, you can be sued for making a legal product if anybody uses it in an unlawful way. I mean, that means they could go after the car manufacturers because of drunk drivers, correct? Well, the logic is there, but of course they wouldn't because they're just after the political goal of the guns. But yeah, that'd be like a drive-by shooting Ford and Chevy and Dodge knowingly put vehicles out there for sale to the public, knowing that some of those vehicles are going to be used in drive-by shootings and getaway cars for robberies and kidnappings. They know people are going to use some of their cars for these illegal purposes. So we're going to, every time that happens, we're going to sue the car companies. That That's absurd. And, of course, it wouldn't happen because it's so absurd. But that's the exact logic they're using with the guns. 
if, if a gun manufacturer makes a gun that's defective, that does not work as advertised, that works in an unsafe manner, causing injury, of course they can be sued. But the only thing that the law passed under Bush the second does is if the gun functions as manufactured, as designed, but it's used illegally by a criminal, then, of course, the gun can't be sued, just like if someone runs over their own foot with a lawnmower, the lawnmower people can't be sued. Yeah, Mike, let, let's get you in here. How do you feel about this? Congress came out yesterday uh, with a piece of legislation. doesn't have a lot of people signing on to it yet, but I think that will change. That wants a gun registry. They want your name. They want to know what guns you own, and they want to know where you store said guns. Does that send a chill up your spine? Well, definitely, and it, and it never ceases to amaze me how, when it comes to the Bill of Rights, the Second Amendment is scrutinized and treated totally different than the others. We don't we don't have to have a registry to worship. We don't have to have a registry to to print or to speak, um, you know, to express ourselves. Uh, we don't have to have a registry to be tried by a jury. Um, all of those things are just God given. And, and they're guaranteed by the Constitution. But the Second Amendment is always scrutinized differently and treated differently. Yeah, it amazes me. You know, I, I've i been preaching for a long time. This is what these folks have been wanting to do. Uh, Ed's been on the show. This is the first time Mike's been on with us from Last Resort. We're going to talk to him about rifles a little bit later. But uh, this is this is very, very chilling, what I'm hearing now. Uh, from the left in that they want they want what uh, you know socialists and communist governments always go out to get and that is a gun registry in other words you buy a gun you got to register it you not only got to register it you got to register it using your name and then you hear in this piece of legislation that they're talking about they want to know where you store that gun now that begs the question does that mean that they're going to want people to line up at their local police station or uh, go online and download a form and fill out a form that says, this is the guns that I own and this is uh, where I keep those guns? Is that going to happen as well? Th- this should be a real wake, a real wake-up call, Ed, uh, to the American people. Well, I wish it was. Uh, I hope it will be, but I'm scared that it won't. Uh, you know, we got 80 million gun owners in America, so says some statistics I read, but, but maybe not even 5 million NRA members. We, we have people, uh, you know, Mike and I know of gun clubs with 300 members, and th- the only reason some of them join the National Rifle Association is because they have to in order to be a member of the club. Otherwise, they wouldn't do it. They'll pay a lot of money for premium football channels on their cable TV, but they they won't spend a minimal amount of money to join an organization to help try to fight this. And what happens is every time this every time a law is passed, then a bunch of people will will get active and join stuff after the barn doors open and after the horses are out. I urge people to start taking action now before this stuff comes up for a fight and really. They will always try for any kind of restriction they think they can possibly get. But the two main ones they want is registry and then the end of private gun sales, like they already have in California and other states. That, those are the two they need. 
Because once they have registration, and then you cannot sell between individuals without going to the government and registering that sale, the transfer of the gun, then they'll know where about 90% of the guns are. So then as they start instituting bans, they will know where to come get them if they're not turned in. So, yeah, they'll push bans now. They'll push taxes now. They'll push waiting periods. They'll push all kinds of things if they think they can get them. Any restriction is a good restriction. But the two main ones they have to have is registration and end of private sale. All right, 18 minutes after 6, first break, ready to go. We'll get back and talk further with Ed and Mike Monk. They are the co-owners of uh, Last Resort Firearms. We're going to continue talking to them today uh, about gun control because the, the, the water has been really heated up uh, today. Don't forget about uh, David Lucas. David Lucas Financial wants you to know they'll take good care of you and helping you plan your retirement so that uh, it doesn't go off the rails because you can miss a few things and uh, end up uh, outliving your money. And outliving your money uh, is a non-starter when you're looking at your retirement. You want to make sure your money outlives you. David Lucas Financial will help you with that. They've got a brochure. They'll be happy for you to get a copy of it. All you got to do, go to davidlucasfinancial.com, and you can take care of everything on the Internet. That's David Lucas Financial and uh, their brochure dealing with your retirement. Go check them out today. All right, so uh, the phone lines are open, 823-0965, And if you call and you're busy, just know you keep calling and we'll try to get you on. Roman called during the break, uh, Roman's out in Garland County, and asked uh, if you, Ed, and you, Mike, would talk a little bit about individual activism. What should the individual gun owner do uh, with what we're talking about today? Let's start off with, let's go ahead and start with Mike. Go ahead, Mike. Well, I would say that uh, joining uh, pro-gun groups like the National Rifle Association, Gun gun Owners of America, uh, groups like that, because your voice is louder when you're in a group and you're not by yourself. So that's one thing. Uh, Another thing I would encourage would be to uh, contact your, your representatives in government and let your voice be heard through them. Um, You can make donations to the, to the politicians who, who, who are seeking office, who you know are going to support our Second Amendment rights. Um, those are the things that come to my mind. All right. Ed? Yeah, again, join. And one thing I think the other side does very well against us, not only in the gun rights, but other things, they get us fighting amongst ourselves instead of fighting the other side. So when someone says join the NRA, a number on our side will go, well, well but, but the NRA did this, and Gun Owners of America is better, and they'll come up with all kinds of reasons not to do something that will help and infight instead of fighting others. There's no organization that's good. NRA is the, is the biggest, so it has the biggest voice. It's very imperfect, but it's a membership organization, so join the darn thing and then change the organization from within. So inevitably, when I'm at a gun show recruiting for NRA, 
I'll have people come up and say, you should join Gun Owners of America instead. And so I always keep my lifetime membership to Gun Owners of America. <laughs> so I can, you know, it, 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 a little paradigm shift here. It just doesn't have to be one. Why don't you join NRA, Gun Owners of America, Jews for the Preservation of Firearm Ownership, Second Amendment Foundation, Citizens Committee for the Right to Keep and Bear Arms. Why can't you join them all instead That's of right. fighting over which one or say, I'm not going to join any of them because all of them are imperfect. One time I had a person actually say, I, I support the NRA's mission, but I'm not going to join because the hats they give out are made in China. <laughs> that was the person's reason not to get active, and that's what yeah. kills us, is coming up with why not. Nothing's perfect, but it, we're better to fight with a fist than individual fingers, and that's one thing the other side does a lot better than us. Another is to vote, to register to vote. I guarantee you there's a huge amount of people who claim to support gun rights out there that aren't registered, don't vote, get other people registered. And that's one of the reasons in the past, you don't hear about it as much anymore, but in the past, the other side was really going after gun shows. And it wasn't because of guns, because you can get guns in other places. It was because before the age of the internet, gun shows was where the information flowed where voter registration was happening. That's why, if you remember, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, they were really going after trying to stop gun shows. Yeah. And, and display. And, go ahead. No, just make say display. Wear pro-gun bumper stickers. Wear pro-gun shirts. And I'll have people say, well, I'm not going to put a bumper sticker on my car because that'll tell people I got guns they'll break into my car. Again, it's another reason keeping us quiet. But if you know your dentist is an NRA member or a Gun Owners of America member and the guy that does your lawn and your plumber, and you know all these people in your life are members of pro-gun organizations, then it, it just seems a lot more natural. Um, and then Facebook. Uh, get on Facebook and people say, I'm tired of politics. Uh, and this is what kills me. People will spend endless hours promoting their favorite football team or basketball team which has absolutely no effect on their life, on their ability, on their freedom. And they'll talk badly about people who talk politics on Facebook, even though that has an actual effect. But get on Facebook. I mean, that's the way now you can talk to so many people um, and talk to your friends. Let them know, because it's it, this is going to be a fight. I don't know which way it's going to go, but people have got to get active. And it's Join be- an organization and register to vote are probably the two simplest things. Yeah, and I agree, and I think it's going to be a fight on on, uh, two fronts. You're going to have the fight with Congress, and then you're going to to have to fight with uh, executive orders. Now, executive orders are going to have to be fought uh, in the the court system, and uh, I would expect any executive order that uh, the president signs uh, that did not go through Congress to be made into law to be... uh, uh, attacked vigorously within the court system. W- would you agree with that, Mike? Do you think that uh, we've got enough conservative judges now that uh, we'll see a real fight on the uh, judicial front? I would hope so, um, but but I just don't know. Um, you know, I, I hate to even harken back to the election, but when you, when you see courts that refuse to take up issues and hear cases, it's um, it's kind of discouraging. Yeah, I'm with you about that. If it gets to the Supreme Court, Supreme Court has got to be willing to talk about it and to to make a uh, a judgment call for uh, gun rights. And Ed, that that in and of itself is kind of scary, isn't it? 
Yeah, and the problem is, you know, right now, I think we have a narrow pro-gun majority in the Supreme Court. But what they will do is they'll they'll try to keep it in courts where they've got a favor. So the, if the president does a executive order, okay, it'll be filed. Somebody will file a lawsuit in a federal district court, of which there's over 90 in the country. And it'll swim around there for a while, and then depending on which way it goes, the, the losing side will appeal it to the federal appeals. But that process takes a long time. So even if he does an executive order that's, that's obviously unconstitutional, it could be a year or more before it, it reaches the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court denies hearing many more cases than they accept. And that's been a huge criticism of the pro-gun side of the world against the Supreme Court yep. uh, up to now since uh, the Heller decision that declared gun ownership an individual right. There's a lot of cases the Supreme Court has refused to hear, uh, and they could do that again. And that would just leave the executive order intact as long as a lower court didn't deny it. All right, we got a minute here, and then we're going to go to the news. So let me just kind of set up some things for us into the second half hour. Uh, I asked Mike to join us because he does a rifle class, and I'm going to talk about that. That's really an important class uh, for you who have rifles that want to learn how to use that rifle to its best advantage. Uh, He teaches a class about that, and we'll talk to him about it. Ed, of course, he comes on to the show to talk about any kind of mass shootings that occur, things of that nature. He looks at them with a very uh, critical eye, not to say that they didn't happen, but to say, hey, they did happen. Why didn't they do this or this or this to uh, you know, make sure they, uh, they didn't happen? And most of that has to do with uh, people being well-armed so they can protect themselves. Let's take a break, and then we'll come back, and we'll talk uh, more about these issues here on the Dave Ellswick Show. But right now, here's your news. All right, let me give you a little bit more information about that uh, legislation that's been introduced on uh, firearms. It is called H.R. 127. Uh, It is uh, the, what does it say here? Let me get to the uh, Firearm Licensing and Registration Act. It has a official... Uh, title, the rest of the title says, to provide for the licensing of firearm and ammunition possession and the registration of firearms and to prohibit the possession of certain ammunition. It, I mean, we had the, um, what was it, they, they called them cop killer bullets that they uh, they they tried to... to um, make you uh, illegal ed uh is this another avenue of attack that they're talking about now oh absolutely uh, they'll come after ammunition in a lot of different ways i expect them to either put huge try to put huge taxes or ban uh the internet sale of ammunition and ammunition parts and then once they do that then you only have limited retail and now walmart has stopped selling handgun ammunition uh and they'll they'll come after those biz, those few businesses that still sell it. So they'll go after it economically as well. The other side is very good at making up emotional names that no one knows what it is. You know, the assault weapons ban that we had for 10 years, and there's so many people that support it off an emotional knee-jerk. And, and I ask them, do you support that? Well, of course I support that. It's common sense. Okay, what is an assault weapon? 
and then they just kind of blink. They don't know. They just know it's bad, and they want to ban right. something that's it's like the, the term sniper weapons, Saturday night special, cop killer bullets. No one knows what they are. They, they just sound real bad. So the uninformed or emotionally driven people will vote for it. You know, with the, with the assault weapons ban, or I'm sorry, with background checks, I'm, I'm amazed that the background check, the Brady bill just barely passed back when it passed. And now here we are 25 years later, and there's a huge portion of people that claim to be pro-gun, pro-Second Amendment who support background checks. Uh, And they don't know why, they just do. And the conversation usually goes, do you support background checks for gun purchases? Oh, of course, of course I do. Why? Well, to prevent criminals from getting guns. So what you're saying is because we've had background checks for 25 years, criminals don't have guns. Oh, no, no, they've got them. They they can always get them. Okay. so we shouldn't have background checks. Oh, of course we should. Why? To prevent criminals from getting guns. <laughs> it, it, it doesn't do a. It doesn't do anything. It just feels good to us now, so we vote for it. Yeah, the, the emotion. There, the other side is mastered emotional uh, arguments and emotional names. Yeah, it's uh, it's amazing to me that something that does nothing at all. Uh, gains all kinds of uh, of uh, you know people behind it thinking that it does nothing at all. Anything that gets in and chips away at a right does something, and that should be enough to worry everybody, especially people who believe in the Bill of Rights and the Second Amendment. I mean, the Bill of Rights right now is just under attack from left and right, from free speech to worship. Uh, to where we're at with the Second Amendment right now and uh, in other areas as well. Uh, There's a lot going on as far as the Bill of Rights is concerned at this time. Well, Mike, let me get to you and get to you specifically about what it is that you're doing with uh, uh, Last Resort Firearms Training. And you have started teaching about your our, our rifles that we have at home that we use for hunting and and uh i'm going to take your class here in the future when the snow goes away and the cold goes away and it's about 95 degrees and dry uh <laughs> that i can come out and visit you so what can i expect from the rifle course what is it that you you all uh teach in that course Okay. Well, the course is entitled Precision Rifle One, and I named it that with with the idea of in the future, you know, adding on follow up classes, Precision Rifle Two, and 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 so forth. Um, I had a, a dry run, you might say, with the class back on Halloween Day. I just invited six of my friends to come and uh, take the class and just you know give me a critique on the on the class, and and I tried to polish it up and make some adjustments. Um, but it's it, it's a precision rifle class. And the objective is to explore the applications and the basics of precision rifle marksmanship. Um, I didn't design the class as what you might call the Rifles 101 class. It's not really a class for somebody who knows nothing, uh, but it is a beginner slash intermediate level class. Um, I scheduled I scheduled two for the end of this month, uh, February 27th and 28th, and almost instantly both of those classes filled up. So I added two more classes. Uh, Saturday, March the 27th, and Saturday, April the 10th. And so far, I've only got one prepaid person uh, for those classes, and there's only six slots in each class. So there's still plenty of seats left in those two. Okay. Um, The time for the class is 8 a.m. to 4 p.m. We'll be in the classroom for the first three hours, 8 a.m. to 11 a.m., and then we'll take a lunch break, and we'll be on the range for four hours from noon until 4 
Um, the cost for the class is $250, and that's prepaid uh, in order to reserve a seat. Okay. Uh, and I'll give out my contact information later unless you want me to go ahead and do that now. No, you can do it now and then do it later, too. So go ahead and okay. give the contact now. Okay. Well, my name is Mike Monk, uh, and we have a uh, page on Facebook, Last Resort Firearms Training on Facebook, so people can always contact me there. If you're not on Facebook, my email is mmonk1960 at yahoo.com, and my phone number is 870-904-3053. And I work nights on my regular job, so depending on when a person might contact me, it might be a while before I reply, but I promise I will get back to them. Um, cost I think I already said cost for the class is $250. Right. Um, the what, gear what? list... Yeah, what caliber? What caliber of rifle are we talking? Like, I have a three hundred eight. I I love Perfect. my three hundred eight. I do too. That that's I started on a three hundred eight, and I haven't really gotten away from it. But basically, any center fire rifle caliber uh, will work. Um, okay. And and as I said, it's the, the the purpose of the class is to explore the basics and, and applications of precision rifle, and the applications. And and I don't know that this is, is a complete list, but. The applications that come to my mind are hunting, and there's a lot of different avenues we can go with there. And then there's competition, and again, there's a lot of different avenues there. Uh, there's the tactical application, which might be a sniper or designated marksman. Uh, there's the recreational application, you know, somebody just purely going to the range for enjoyment and wanting to see how accurate they can shoot. And then uh, the last one that comes to my mind is, is ballistics. Believe it or not, some people shoot purely for the science. And I myself, I'm not a ballistic nerd, but but and, and that's a that's a term of endearment. That's not a derogatory term. Right. Uh, but I'm thankful for the people out here out there who do that because we all benefit from what they do. That's how we get advancements in our sport. We get better ammunition, better bullets, better barrels, better optics. Everything comes from what they do. Uh, so depending on a person's application, they could come into the class with that mindset and then take what they learn in the class and and take it back to their application and make it work. So, so what you're telling me, Mike, is that I'll actually know what that little cap on top of my scope does. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> I pop that thing open and look at it, and I've gone on YouTube and watched some videos, and I still am stupid about it. So I'm gonna I'm gonna have to take your class so that I can understand that. Are you going to get into such things as humidity and wind speed and things of that nature as well? Yes, yes, we do. Um, if, if you'd like, I'll just give you a, a quick rundown of what I cover in the class, and I'll, yeah, I'll try not to run down any rabbit holes. Okay. Uh, we, we cover ammunition, of course, because uh, ammunition is just as important as the rifle. Like You know, we were just discussing ammunition bans. If, if they ban ammunition, then our guns are useless. So when it comes to precision rifle, your ammunition is equally as important as the rifle. Uh, we talk about ballistics, which you just mentioned, uh, humid, humidity, barometric pressure. That, that all falls under external ballistics. Uh, rifle familiarization, scope familiarization, so you'll know what the knob on top is. Um, we talk about angular units of measure, and there's there's two of those, uh, minute of angle and mil radian. Um, and this is where you have to start getting into math a little bit. Um, but if you're not, uh, or if a person wants to come and take the class and they're worried about math, they don't need to be. Uh, it's, it's not that difficult. I was an English major, and I can do a little math. Okay. Um, we, we cover firearm safety rules. Uh, the seven fundamentals of shooting, 
uh, how to manipulate your scope. And again, that's where we get back to the minute of angle and the mill radian because your scope is either set up or calibrated in one of those, one or the other. So you have to know those angular units of measure in order to be able to adjust your scope to hit downrange what you want to hit. Um, we talk about the importance of zeroing your rifle which is making your point of uh, aim equal your point of impact at a known distance. And then that's the baseline for the adjustments that you make to shoot other distances. Uh, we talk about shot groups, uh, target analysis, uh, DOPE, which is an acronym that stands for Data on Previous Engagements. And all that is is just a written record of how your rifle and ammunition perform at certain distances under certain conditions. Um, and and you can look back at that and, and use it to... Uh, to reference for, for current shooting conditions. Uh, and then, yes, we do talk about range estimation uh, when your distance is unknown and also reading the wind, and that's where we get into a little bit more math again. And then we talk about maintenance and cleaning in the classroom, and then we take a lunch break and we go to the range. And now you guys have, have expanded your range in that you do have an area for rifle uh, that you can shoot now. Is it 400 yards or something like that? 460. Yeah, we, we started an expansion back in the early fall of 2018. And, and due to weather delays and water in the ground and other types of delays, it's, it's kind of been a slow process. But we've expanded our parking lot, added two pistol bays for a total of five now, and we have a 460-yard rifle range. And we still have uh, some finishing touches that need to be added to all of that, but it's usable now. Wow. That's impressive. That's really impressive. You're the only uh, facilitators and teachers that can take you from a 22 up to, you know, a 308 or a, I don't know if somebody's ever brought a 50 cal out or not, but uh, uh, come out and, and fire all those weapons and do it safely. I, I like what you all are doing there uh, with you. Well, I appreciate it. There, there are a few others in Arkansas because I've trained with them. Um, but we're, we're proud to have what we have, that's for sure. Well, absolutely. I, I think that's an absolute. All right, we've got to get into our final break, break in. And, Mike, I want to appreciate you coming on. First time you've been on from last resort firearms training. Ed has been the, the, you know, the point man on all of that. You've done a great job. I can tell you're the older brother just because you, you sound more, uh, how do I put this, you're not as crazy as the way Ed sounds. It's just like my brothers. <laughs> they don't sound as crazy as I sound uh, when I'm on He's the air. Older. <laughs> oh, he's much older. Okay. Well, we're going to talk further uh, with Mike and with Ed here on the Dave Ellswick Show. When we come back, uh, we talked a little bit what you can do about you know joining groups and things of that nature. Here's something else I think needs to be done, and, and we can talk about this, and that is what can we do uh, legislatively on the state level uh, to fight back on what perhaps they're wanting to do on the national level. It's 12 minutes till 7. Coming up in the next hour, Congressman French Hill at 7.05, and then at 7.35, Congressman Bruce Westerman. Stay tuned. we got a lot more going on today. All right, Ed, I wanted to, to deal with one uh, uh, statement that you hear uh, from the left a lot of times. They'll say something like, well, why do you need an expanded magazine? Uh, why do you need a, 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 a suppressor and, and things of that nature? And uh, I always answer them, I don't need a reason. My reason, you know, other than 
Well, the bottom reason is I want one, and I have the right to own one. So, uh, you know, you know get, get out of my business. It, it doesn't always bother you that the left is saying, well, why do you need that? The, the founding fathers said that the reason that we needed firearms was to protect ourselves, not uh, to just be able to go hunting, but also to an, an out-of-control government. Yeah, I, I used to do it a lot, and I'll still do it if asked. I do a lot of public speaking on Second Amendment rights. And I, in this one place I was at, I knew the person talking to me, and I knew he was he, he was Baptist. He went to a Baptist church, and he, and he said, why do you need this type of gun? And I just looked at him and said, why do you need to be Baptist? And again, he just stared at me and blinked. What, what do you, it, that made no sense to him, just like it makes no sense to me. If you say, why do you need that gun? Why do you need that many rounds in your in your magazine? Why do you need? You know, the saying is it's a bill of rights, not a bill of needs. You don't have to explain a need. But if you get past that, which is the most obvious, then all you got to do is point to these riots, which took place in most of 2020. You need a, a gun that's uh, equipped to fight many people at one time because there are home invasions with six people. There are riots in the streets where they'll try to pull you out of your vehicle. There, there's all kinds of reasons why you need them. But you shouldn't have to explain it just like you shouldn't explain why do I need to be Baptist? Why do I need to post things on the internet? Why do I need to keep cops out of searching my home randomly? Uh, you don't have to explain the need. There's a right there in the Bill of Rights to try to protect it. And Mike mentioned, you know, the, the Second Amendment has always been treated badly and almost ignored. And for years, I would say, you know, if you let the Second Amendment be trampled, it's only a matter of time before others will be. And people rolled their eyes. And then here we just saw in 2020, cops going to churches to arrest people trying to attend a church service mm-hmm. so there we have it i got you I, I i'm i'm firmly in your corner you know that let's let's talk uh, about what the state can do we we talked about joining you know the nra and goa and other organizations and uh, you know and, and giving our money to organizations who lobby these people up in Washington, D.C., and have more power than we do as just one vote that's out there, although that one vote is a powerful thing as well. But it's more powerful on a state level, I would think, than it is on a national level. So let me let me turn to you and say, what can the state do? If you were talking to legislators uh, today, and you may have been talking to some of them, knowing you, uh, are, are you talk, talking to them and telling them there's some legislation we need, like they're doing in Missouri, to uh, say that we back the Second Amendment of the Constitution and uh, we don't believe that the federal government should infringe on that right at all? I think there's a, a lot of things the state can do, uh, and we should focus there. We, we're going to obviously be defensive at the federal level for at least four years so we ought to focus on being offensive at the state. You know, if you're a boxer, you cannot win the match by simply blocking punches. You've got to throw a few. So the attorney general can sue anything that happens at the federal level. Uh, the governor can tell state agencies we will not cooperate with any federal law enforcement or federal agency attempts to violate the Constitution, including the Second Amendment. And then we can push pro-gun laws here at the state. I, we the, the riots in 2020, and we haven't seen the last of them, 
they show us we need to put in our law that anybody who attempts to or does forcibly enter an occupied home or a vehicle, that the law presumes if they do that, that they are doing it to commit great bodily harm, which would authorize deadly force. If anybody's trying to break into your car while you're in it or break into your home or wherever you're living while you're in it, the law just says we presume that they're doing so to hurt you. So that you won't be second guess when you try to defend yourself. We need to get rid of the duty to retreat. Obviously, stand your ground. We need to lower the prohibited places where people that carry guns outside their homes can carry. Uh, we got to get we got to get it to where people can carry inside of K through 12 schools, inside of public schools. And oh my God, people are going crazy right now if they're hearing this. Oh my God, we can't carry in schools. Why not? Um, why not? There are states that allow it, and it's never been a problem. Why, why do the people carrying guns in Walmart and the barbershop and the movie theater and the grocery store who aren't causing a problem, why will they magically be a problem if they walk onto a school campus? And then doing so will give us some deterrence against active shooters and the ability to end it quickly if it happens. People that post signs any government or, or private person who has a policy that says you cannot have your gun in a certain location, if they make that policy and you are hurt in there because you did not have your gun because of their policy, our law needs to say those people can be held liable. Because when they said you can't have your gun, they must assume responsibility for your safety if they have denied you the ability to provide your own safety. We need tax breaks for gun training and gun security. So if you go out and buy a gun safe to secure the guns you're not actively using in your home, which the liberals would love, lock up your guns, that ought to be a tax break. If you go out to get gun training to make yourself a safer person with guns, that ought to be a tax break. And then we got to push for gun safety training inside of public schools. So when people graduate, whether they choose to be a gun owner or not, it's their right to, but they don't have to. At least they have a basic knowledge of them. So uh, they just have a basic knowledge as Americans about guns. Very good. All right, Ed, Mike, I want to thank both of you for joining us today. It's been a great hour. It's been a fast hour. It's been an informative hour. Mike, we appreciate you joining us. When, uh, when's your next uh, open uh, rifle class again, and how do people sign up for it? Uh, Saturday, March the 27th, and also Saturday, April the 10th. And it's $250 prepaid to reserve a seat. And they can contact me uh, on our Facebook page at Last Resort Firearms Training. Or they can contact me by email, mmonk1960 at yahoo.com or at 870-904-3053. I'll get all that information, put it on my Facebook page so that you can access it there. Guys, thanks so much. Have a great Wednesday. And, uh, Ed, I'll be talking to you soon, all right? Yeah, let's do lunch, Dave. All right, we'll do that. All right, take a break. We'll see you in just a moment. we got to get to the news. Coming up, Congressman French Hill, and I'll ask him about this piece of legislation now about registering guns and about what the president has said about what he wants to do about guns in our next segment of the Dave Ellswick Show.
right, we're into the 7 o'clock hour now here on the Dave Ellswick Show. This is our Washington hour. Uh, Congressman French Hill will join us now until 7.30. At 7.35, we'll be joined by uh, uh, Congressman Bruce Westerman. And uh, there'll be several several questions that are basically the same, but there'll be some other questions as well because they both have different committee uh, assignments, and it'd be fun to talk uh, to them about uh, from a committee standpoint what's going on. Now, I'll tell you right now, Bruce in the next half hour is going to tell you, you know, he, he's sitting over there on the natural resources and things of that nature, uh, that uh, this whole thing about, you know, uh, uh, renewable resources and depending on uh, wind power and solar power and all of that stuff to power this country, uh, we're getting a real hard lesson that putting all your eggs in that kind of a basket can be a bad thing to do by just asking the people in Texas right now and expect to see some changes in Texas on how they do energy uh, down there. Uh, they kind of went along with that Obama and Biden, uh, you know, green energy stuff somewhat down there. And now the, the turbines are frozen on the plains and you've got uh, snow on the ground and over your your uh, solar panels. And suddenly you got rolling blackouts and all kinds of crazy stuff. In fact, I saw that we're going to have some rolling blackouts perhaps uh, here in Arkansas, and uh, been notified. Uh, Little Rock has been notified that could happen uh, in that city as well. Congressman, is this a wake-up call to people about uh, the Green New Deal? Dave, good morning. Good cold morning. morning. Yes, um, you know I think it is, and I think you struck it right, which is balance and dependency. You know, we yeah. need an all-above uh, energy policy. And this is uh, the right way to go. And when we get too dependent on uh, renewables like uh, solar and wind, you know, we don't have the storage for them yet. So when they're not producing, i.e. the sun is out and the wind is blowing, we don't really get to use that power and sell it in the grid as effectively as we might. So they're growing, but the key for them, in my view, will be substantial innovations in battery storage. Next, we have to have baseline power regardless. So that can be provided by coal, natural gas, nuclear, or classic baseline power. That means they can just keep producing. Uh, The cleanest of those is nuclear. Uh, Natural gas is uh, the next uh, cleanest. So that's why you see, I think, coal being replaced by abundant natural gas. We have so much natural gas in Mexico, the U.S., and Canada. We're now obviously exporting it by LNG. Yeah, we got enough of it just here in the United States alone that we don't even have to depend on Canada and and Mexico if they'll let us pull it out of the ground. Exactly. And there, uh, the Biden administration, I think, has made several key errors. One was, and we've talked about it already, it won't belabor it, the Keystone Pipeline. Yes. That just facilitates uh, oil going to China and not going into the U.S., employing U.S. people to refine that oil, transport that oil, use that oil, and also the safety issue. And Joe Biden has said, I know you'll talk to Congressman Westman about this, so I'll be quick, Uh, you know, Closing down pipelines, uh, not leasing federal lands, all these have long-term negative uh, implications for prices in the market and access for Americans. 
Well, now that Texas is covered in snow, um, you know, we've got uh, energy prices, it's been predicted, are going to start uh, moving up for quite some time. Uh, and uh, we're, ju- we're just seeing some real big problems uh, now with this whole national obsession with we got to be uh, off of carbon-based energy uh, by 2035. I, I just don't see how they even get there, but we'll talk about that in the future. Let, let's talk about uh, the, uh, the, the governor of New York, uh, his defense of what he did during COVID-19 about putting people that were ill in the nursing homes uh, has come back to bite him in the keister hard. And we're, and uh, they tried to keep that information from getting out into the press. And even the press who who loves the left are starting to attack Como now. Uh, let's talk about that a little bit. Uh, they, New York should never have had the death rate that they had uh, from COVID-19, and they did because of their own policies, correct? Yeah, I mean, uh, Cuomo was so busy uh, auditioning for an Emmy on TV and writing a book about what a great leader he was, uh, he took his eye off the ball. He is such a preening uh, egomaniac that he took his eye off the ball of public safety, and now we have the key data showing that he was not providing the accurate statistics and he was not doing his job. And I'm glad to see he gets some comeuppance for that. And compare that to just the steady, careful leadership by Asa Hutchison here, just grinding away every day to try to get our businesses open, keep our schools open, make sure our hospitals have the resources they need, and educate our population on fighting the pandemic. You know, we every country, every everybody had problems with nursing homes initially since the elderly are the most susceptible to COVID-19. But what Governor Cuomo did will will go down to history as a huge uh, catastrophic mistake. Well, let's go let's go and talk about at the highest office of America, and that's the president's office. And he made the statement when he came into office, there was no covid vaccine. That's a flat out lie. The man had gotten himself (coughs) gotten a shot. Uh, for COVID-19, and they were giving shots to uh, emergency workers. There's vaccine out there. They're just not getting it out the way they're supposed to. Well, all during the campaign, this was both uh, Harris and Biden denigrated the vaccine, so they didn't trust the vaccine. They wouldn't take the vaccine unless somebody, an expert, told them to because they don't like Trump. They don't trust Trump. When the vaccine will go down in history is one of the highlights of the fight in the pandemic, where American industry and pharmaceutical researchers and scientists around the world, not just in the U.S., but around the world, came together under Operation Warp Speed, started by Donald Trump, funded by the Congress, to get vaccines uh, uh, developed and approved all in less than a year. I mean, really, about nine months, and they were in clinical trials with humans probably in about seven or eight months. This was unbelievable. And, of course, we have vaccine being distributed across the country, 700-plus thousand doses here in Arkansas in a population of 3.3 million. So we are making progress in getting that vaccine out, and it's not the end of February yet. Yeah, and this is this is good news. And now the president's saying by June there'll be enough vaccine out there for everybody to get a shot. Uh, 
from what I understood, vaccine has been being manufactured since uh, the end of last year and <clears throat> into this year and uh, should be being uh, moved out so more people can get a shot. True. Um, we've got Moderna. We've got the Pfizer vaccine. And <clears throat> we're getting approval for AstraZeneca and Johnson & Johnson. And you're right. All those vaccines, even though they've been in final human trials, final testing, final FDA review, were in production so that they could be quickly shared with the American people if, you know, they passed all the safety musters. So I, I think we're going to see we had about a um, 16% increase in available vaccine a couple of weeks ago. I think it's up again this week. So you'll continue to see it accelerate with more choices and more availability. Yeah, I'm on a couple of lists right now. I'm just waiting for the pharmacy to call me and say I can come in and get my shot. I'm looking forward to it. I, I want to have the shot. With that said, though, is it a danger, a dangerous precedent uh, that some people are talking about this travel passport that you're going to have to carry with you to prove that you've been inoculated? You know, here's what uh, it's so good you asked that question, because I've been reading about that this week. Uh, and you think about the practical, practical ramifications of, you know, showing that you were vaccinated to go to a corporate meeting or to get on a trip to uh, South America or whatever in the coming months. You know, how do we do that? How do we make it convenient for people? Uh, and so that is really being debated. And there's not one answer and there's not an easy answer. But I do think people, as they get their passport to travel later this year will probably carry with them the little vaccine card that they're getting as they get uh, the vaccine. And, and that'll become, you know, during this transition period, uh, something helpful to allow them to have more mobility, uh, particularly outside the U.S. Okay. Uh, I'm looking here. Um, what about uh, reopening our schools? The president says one, if through one side of his mouth we can open uh, five days a week. The other side, he says, no, uh, listen, the teachers are right. Uh, which Biden do we listen to? Boy, this is such a classic case of is Joe Biden really running the country effectively? Is he really sitting in meetings, really listening, really planning? You know, education, opening our schools, coping with stresses of teachers and families and students and the pressure our students feel and their mental health. Is this a new issue? No. We've been talking about it since day one of the pandemic last March when we closed our schools. And we've seen the catastrophic impact on uh, kids outside the classroom, particularly in behavioral health. We've seen the CDC telling us that we should get them back open. This None of this is new. And all along, again, compliments to Arkansas. We reopened our schools back last August. Uh, I think 80% of Arkansas kids are in classroom or in school-type education. Parents have choice here of being virtual if they feel it's needed versus in classroom. Uh, we've tried to um, take the millions and millions of dollars for each school district given by the federal government to put it to good use. So, again, where it is. And I think he just caved to the a big liberal constituency of the Democrats, which are teacher unions. It's it's disappointing. I mean, we can open schools. And to say that your goal would be to have them open one day a week for in-class instruction in the first hundred days, that's ridiculous because go out and survey how many schools are already open around 
the United States. Look at parochial schools, the Catholic schools around the country. Uh, this can be done, and it can be done effectively and safely for both kids and for our faculty. Our guest, Congressman uh, uh, Hill, is with us. Uh, French Hill will be with us until the bottom of the hour. we got to get a break in here on the Dave Ellswick Show. And then uh, when we come back, uh, I'd like to talk to you a little bit about gun control because the Democrats have been really rattling the sabers since Sunday about that. Let's talk about it when we come back. The congressman was with us to the bottom of the hour. Let me remind you about St. Clarity Residential uh, Cleaning. Uh, We have, uh, you know, coupons here at uh, 101.1 The Answer uh, so that you can save 50% on getting your house deep cleaned uh, by St. Clarity Residential uh, uh, you know, cleaning. They, they do a great, great job. Uh, they uh, come in, they uh, survey your house, they got a checklist, they go over it with you, uh, make sure that uh, they're getting everything that you want done, done. And uh, this is not just dust your shelves and run a, a vacuum cleaning. Uh, this is a, uh, a, a whole thing dealing with deep, deep cleaning. And deep cleaning can uh, make your home uh, really clean for at least a month, uh, probably more so because a lot of us don't let people visit us really all that much right now. And uh, it uh, the, the products that they use kills COVID-19. Uh, it won't keep your house completely COVID-19 free, but it will get rid of COVID-19 uh, and the areas that they clean. So keep that in mind. If you'll just call the station, 404-6560, you can save yourself some money. If you got a house that's 1,500 square feet or less, uh, 100 bucks will get your house cleaned. If you have a, a house that's 1,500 square feet up to 2,500 square, uh, square feet, 150 will get your house cleaned. Uh, clean. But you got to call Chuck. Chuck will take care of this for you uh, after 9 o'clock, 404-6560, to get your certificate from St. Clarity Residential Cleaning. All right, guest on my show right now. He's with us every Wednesday for the most part. He First time that he missed in months was last week. There were just travel uh, restrictions that we couldn't get past, and because of that, he wasn't on with us last Wednesday, or uh, he couldn't get on with us Friday. He came, of all things, he came home on last Friday and got here just in time for the major snow and the cold snap that we've had. It's 25 minutes after 7. Congressman French Hill is with us. Congressman, the uh, the president on Sunday talked about gun control. His press secretary talked about it on Tuesday again. And Congress uh, has put a a bill uh, up called H.R. 127. This is the Firearm Licensing and Registration Act. And let me just read the synopsis for you of of what I have here, uh, which says that this will deal with... uh, uh, Registration of firearms and licensing of ammunition uh, by Congress. Uh, I I guess this should come as no surprise. Uh, The president said that he was going to come after the NRA. And when you say you're going to come after the NRA, that means you're going to come after the American people's rights 
uh, dealing with uh, with uh, the Second Amendment. Uh, are you concerned about executive orders and uh, and then the, the in Congress you got you got this uh, little majority that the uh, that the Democrats have? Can they get any of this stuff through? Do you believe? Well, in executive orders, uh, he's already issued 40. He's not shy about it. I think uh, it would be very challenging uh, in executive orders to limit Second Amendment rights. I think there's so much case history before the Supreme Court there. Secondly, uh, the bad ideas in the House would need 60 votes in the Senate, and I can't imagine there would be 60 votes in the Senate to limit American Second Amendment rights. So uh, this is an area that he's campaigned on. It's a core constituency of Joe Biden's, particularly as he tries to uh, outlive his reputation in the 90s of uh, uh, on this subject as a senator. So, you know, uh, this bill is a bad idea. It's got a sponsor who's... Uh, not going to get a lot of traction on it, in my view, based on its overwhelming new direction of registration of not only guns but ammunition. So I don't, yeah. I don't, I don't think they can put together a coalition to pass that bill, and many, many of us will be arguing against it and fighting against it. Yeah, they want to register every gun, every person who owns a gun, and where you store them. <laughs> Uh, that would be a, a a task I'd like to see undertaken. That's just ridiculous. I mean, you know, can you imagine that? Think about that in your own. I think about that in my own <laughs> household. That's uh, it's just ridiculous. It's ridiculous. We need to be focused in this country on stopping crime and getting guns out of the hands of criminals. And I don't think the average American knows already the limitations on gun ownership uh, invite them to go look at the uh, form at atf on what you fill out to buy a gun right you can't buy one if you're an illegal immigrant you cannot buy one if you have a felony you can't buy one if you have a restraining order uh, mental health issues it goes on and on and so what we've tried to do is enhance uh, the background check system over the years, make it more effective, make it faster, make the records better. Because we've seen in some of these where some of these uh, folks with serious mental illness get a gun and take action with it, uh, sadly, uh, many times they were in the background check system and could have been stopped or law enforcement could have had the data and they just didn't have access to it. Yeah, I agree. I've got 60 seconds. Let me ask you one last question. Out of all this stuff that they're talking about, and the president as well, eliminating legal immunity for gun manufacturers, I think, is the most dangerous. What do you think? Well, it's, again, uh, why are we doing this? Why are we saying that guns are the problem, manufacturing of guns are the problem, collecting guns are the problem, target shooting, hunting, personal enjoyment, personal protection? Why are these the problem? Why aren't we focused on what people do with guns? And let's work on the societal and cultural and criminal challenges in our places uh, and tackle that. That's where the problem is. And you're right. I think it'd be catastrophic. And it would certainly hurt Arkansas, which has now got a reputation of a haven for ammunition and gun manufacturing. 
I'm all with you. Congressman French Hill, thanks for the time. I'll let you go. We'll talk to you next week. And uh, time now for us to get ready for Rush Limbaugh. He's coming up. And then when we come back, Congressman Bruce Westerman from the District 4 will join us on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, back with you. I know that talking about roof repair right now seems kind of crazy with all the snow that is outside. But uh, by the middle of next week, we're going to be in the 50s again. And this will be just a bad dream uh, that we've lived through over the last few days. And we'll be getting back to to normal uh, life here in, in Arkansas. Uh, what that means is that that snow is going to melt It's going to run off your roof, and as it runs off the roof, if there happens to be any weak spots on your roof, you might get some uh, water into your house, or uh, you might have some more damage made to your to your roof. As uh, you know, the 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 warmth will make things expand instead of contract, and might make uh, areas that haven't been leaking to leak. So what you need to do, if you see any water whatsoever, if you see any damage whatsoever, as you can look up at your roof, if you see a shingle missing, uh, call PI Roofing. Let them come out to your house and walk your roof because it could be that you've got a problem uh, with uh, your roof and you don't even know it because you can't see it. So you'll want to make sure they come out and check it. That's why they call themselves the Roof Leak Detectives, because they check your roof out and make sure that something's not uh, happening that you don't want uh, to happen. So give them a call, 707-3551. This is a roofing company I've been using ever since I've owned my home here in, in Cabot for over uh, 15 years now. So uh, you make sure that uh, you take care of your roof like I do. Call PI Roofing, 707-3551, or go online to piroofing.com. Well, Bruce Westerman's with us, congressman from uh, the District 4 uh, four, uh, here in, in Arkansas. And uh, I was talking earlier uh, to Congressman Hill, and we started talking a little bit about the Green New Deal. And he said, I think, Dave, that I'm not going to say a whole lot. You take that up with Bruce Westerman. He'll have a lot to say about it. Uh, this has been kind of a wake-up call. Uh, for all of us, that uh, renewable energy is not the you know the uh, be all end all that everybody thinks it is. That getting rid of fossil fuels and stuff, uh, uh, Congressman, uh, we may be just a bit uh, too soon to pull the trigger on that gun. Would you agree? Oh yeah, it's not that we don't need to be working. Uh, towards a, a broader portfolio on fuel, but you know, even right now in Texas, with uh, with a lot of fossil fuels, they're having a hard time meeting the demands with this uh, this storm. And you know, I don't think people link the importance of energy to to life a lot of times. But I mean, it's you could freeze to death out there uh, in the weather that we're having, and. If there's no energy coming across the wires or no gas in the pipeline, uh, it gets serious real fast. Yeah, and that's that's what's happened down uh, in uh, in Texas. And from what I understand, uh, Governor uh, Abbott down there is saying, "Hey, we need to re uh, readjust what we've done here in the state because 
uh, over, what, 23 24% of their power now is wind power and solar power. Well, solar power doesn't work when the solar panels are covered with snow, and wind power doesn't work when the wind turbines freeze up. So, uh, you know, what do you think will come out of this? Do you, I know that the environmentalists will not let up on their push to get rid of, uh, you know, fossil fuels, but uh, are more, you know, people who use a little bit more common sense in their thought process going to say, hey, uh, we need to we need to get get back to you know understanding fossil fuels are are part of all of this. Do you believe Congress might come back and uh, and and get the Keystone Pipeline going, things of that nature? Uh, I would be surprised if that happens, Dave. I think they're uh, they're still making this all out push against fossil fuels, and I think it's only just begun. You know, with shutting down pipelines and stopping. Uh, putting a moratorium on federal lands for new leases. I think they're just getting started on that. Uh, but, uh, you know, it doesn't matter what your political philosophy is. You you can get cold and freeze to death uh, yeah. being liberal or conservative or, or somewhere in the middle. So I think that hopefully that reality will set in. And if it's, uh, if we're going to continue having this, this push against fossil fuels, then we're going to have to start looking at something like nuclear or more more hydro to create that base load power. You know, this time last week I was down in the the Permian Basin with uh, Kevin McCarthy and a freshman member that, that represents um, Midland and Odessa, uh, yeah. August Fluger, and we were meeting with some of these uh, uh, workers out in the, the oil field. Um, you know. With them shutting down federal lands, like you know, the Permian goes up into New Mexico, it's going to really hurt those jobs there. But it's going to put even more pressure on the the private lands there in in Texas and the Permian Basin uh, until they figure out what kind of rule or law to use to to get it to the production of private lands. And I think that's that's where they're going. You know, the pipelines is one way they can do that. If you can't get the uh, uh, the product to market, it doesn't do much good, good to produce it. So I think you'll see regulations with with pipelines, with um, uh, a federal law called NEPA, with the Endangered Species Act. I think they'll use different things to uh, try to stop the, the production. But I think uh, we're going to have to really push back on this because we see just how important energy is um, and how it does become a matter of life and death. You know, we well, rely on it every day, but not so much in a life and death situation. Well, out in California, we've seen rolling blackouts and brownouts and all kinds of outs uh, for a long time. I, you know, I, I didn't ever think in my lifetime I would see rolling blackouts in Texas. And now uh, we've had energy companies here in Arkansas say, that rolling blackouts could very much be a something that's going to happen in our our very near future here in Arkansas. Something's got to be done to stop this, and uh, is, is that going to be able to be ha- done, or are we going to have to wait two years to the next election and try to get sanity to take back uh, control of the of the house? Well, I think we definitely need to get sanity back in control of the House in two years. 
And, you know, there's when you're talking about energy infrastructure, it takes a while uh, to build that. So uh, we've seen some weaknesses exposed with these record low temperatures. So we should be focusing on how do we build more energy capacity going forward? How do we make sure we don't have these problems in the future? Well, what the left's doing is just the opposite. They're accentuating that problem uh, for the future because, again, they're not putting forth an energy plan. They're putting forth just some, uh, I I think it's political payoff to the the radical left to say we're going to go after fossil fuels and uh, they're impeding progress is what they're doing. Do you think the American people are going to understand that the reason that we're seeing rolling blackouts and things of that nature is uh, because of the Democrats and what uh, and the left and what they're trying to do? Well, I, I hope they do. And, you know, again, I think what's happening in Texas and in Arkansas with the record low temperatures right now is not as much political uh is what you saw in California with the rolling blackouts where they were having to, uh, where they've really devastated their energy grid out there. And plus, um, you know, the big lawsuit against uh, Pacific Gas and Electric over the, the campfire where the the power companies were literally shutting down their transmission lines uh, during these uh, dry, windy conditions. Um, you know, that was all government-imposed blackouts there. Uh, but as we move further away from having uh, the base load capacity that we need, um, you know, that's, that's kind of a long-term uh, government-imposed energy problem that could be avoided. All right. With that in mind, what can state legislatures do? What is there anything that you would say to the Arkansas state legislature what they should do to try to mitigate what the the federal government might try to do? Well, I think they should be very guarded of the uh, the energy grid and the system that we have there in the state, and uh, you know, with the public service commission and. Uh, you know, all the regulatory agencies that we have that are looking over uh, power distribution. You know, one of the things that's been a plus for Arkansas to attract manufacturers is the fact that we have um, a, a good energy source, low-cost, um, reliable energy source there in the state. So, uh, you know, from the state level, we've got to protect that and make sure that um, some kind of new system doesn't get in place that puts that in jeopardy because not only do you lose your uh, your ability to provide the residential needs, you start losing the ability to provide commercial and industrial needs. What are, what are some things that perhaps our local legislators should look towards to 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 keep let me, let me pick that up when we come back but you you think about it during the break what can our local legislature legislature do to keep uh, you know, electricity rates uh, cost effective so that we don't end up losing one of our main abilities 
to draw business here to the state. We're talking to Congressman Bruce Westerman. We're talking about power now. Look, we've been talking about this for a long, long time, and what's happening is the roosters are coming home to roost. That's the chickens are coming home to roost. That's that is exactly what's beginning to happen. And we've got to do something uh, before we got a flock of birds and we don't have any power. Uh, we got about 13 minutes to the top of the hour. Let's get a break in. Then we'll come back and finish our conversation up with the congressman. Listening to that Alaska cruise, I'm thinking I'm looking out my window and seeing Alaska here. It's pretty it's pretty white and it's pretty cold outside, but no, that'd be a great trip. You should look into it. It'd be a lot of fun, especially with Alistair Begg. Uh, he is such a great Bible teacher. All right, with us, our guest, and that is uh, from the 4th District, that is Congressman uh, Bruce Westerman. And, and Congressman, I left off uh, talking about what state uh, governments, and more specifically what Arkansas can do uh, to make sure that we keep our energy bill down, lower, uh, things of that nature. What would be some of your suggestions? Well, Dave, one thing that Arkansas's got is an abundance of uh, low-cost, clean-burning natural gas. <clears throat> so, uh, you know, I think as the state legislature looks at the uh, energy production uh, potential in Arkansas and, and visits with those agencies that uh, that oversee energy to make sure that we have a, a you know natural gas is a big part of the portfolio there as well as uh, you know utilizing the hydro power that we have and and keeping the nuclear plant um, up and operational and then looking at at new ways to develop uh, the cleanest, most cost-efficient energy that we can develop there for the state. And as you know, there's, uh, you know, our energy is not just, uh, uh, there's not a border around the state that affects our energy distribution. We're in this, uh, like the group's called MISO, the Southwest Power Pool, where it's um, a regional area that, uh, that oversees the way that energy is produced and distributed. But I think the state legislature, through their oversight ability, can obviously have some uh, <clears throat> some impact on how energy is developed in the state. Yeah, do, do we need to look towards nuclear more in this country? I know that's a bad word for a lot of people, has been since Three Mile Island scared the bejeebas out of people. But the bottom line is uh, what happened back then and where we're at now as far as nuclear power is night and day. Uh, is that something that we need to look seriously, not only, for instance, the state of Arkansas, but as a, a, a national way of of powering things here in America. Yeah, we, we need to, uh, I think, back up and take a whole new approach on nuclear. I, I visited, uh, I guess it's the latest nuclear power plants that's being built in the country over um, uh, in Georgia and South Carolina. And the regulatory burden on those plants was so high that it actually drives the, the cost of electricity up mm-hmm. quite a bit. Uh, but these are your old conventional, uh, you know, first-generation type reactors where they're water-cooled, uh, you know, similar to what you will see uh, anywhere there is a, a nuclear power plant in the country. But there's new technology 
where you can make smaller nuclear reactors that have a solid core cooling system that uh, the way the reactor works is when if, if it shuts down, it automatically shuts itself down. You don't have to worry about, you know, like what they saw in Japan where the, the cooling pumps failed and they couldn't cool the core, so you get a, a meltdown. These new next-generation reactors actually will shut themselves down. And yep. they're smaller, so they can be, be distributed and, uh, you know, have to transmit power such long distances. I think we definitely need to be looking at that uh, on a national level, and and states should be looking at it as well. Yeah, I think it's going to have to happen more on a state level right now just because nationally there's still enough environmentalists that they don't even want to go near nuclear, even though it is the cleanest form of energy that we can that we can provide. But the the thing with nuclear, though, it's so federally regulated that uh, mm-hmm. I'm not sure a state could go out and build a nuclear power plant without the blessing of the federal regulators. Uh, and again, with this administration, uh, while they're attacking fossil fuel, I don't think they're going to be very open to using the newest technology in, in nuclear reactors either. <clears throat> so... I think this is what happens when you put government planners in charge of things that that need engineers and scientists working on. And you get, um, you know, a lot of political scientists up here in D.C. that don't understand the the real science that goes behind uh, the complexity of of generating power and distributing it and meeting the needs of the the population. And, again, it's it's critical needs. It's not... uh, you know, the power is going to go off and something's going to go bad in the refrigerator. When you get in these, uh, you know, frigid temperatures, you know, people can die. Yeah. So over the next two to four years, you're not really optimistic, I, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming. It doesn't sound like you're very optimistic, at least. No, not with the, uh, you know, the Biden administration has given us um, a lot to not be optimistic about here in the first uh first month of them being in office with some of these draconian measures that they've put out um, attacking the the energy industry in our country. When you attack the energy industry, you're attacking uh, the citizens of this country because we all depend on it. Uh, And it's going to translate into higher fuel prices. It's going to make it more expensive to to commute back and forth to work. It's going to make it more expensive to produce goods and deliver them. Uh, So it's going to be... uh, felt all across the economy and felt uh, in our homes where, um, you know, I think it's going to become more and more uh, common for the energy companies to say, you know, we may have to do some rolling blackouts or, uh, you know, don't wash your dishes or do your laundry when it's cold outside, those kind of things. And there's no reason it should be that way. Uh, in this country if there was a, a valid energy plan in place. So that's what you know, I'll be pushing for up here is common sense and science and using the technology that we have to provide the, um, the lowest cost, most efficient, cleanest power <clears throat> that we can have. And that's what we should always work towards. And the, um, our energy systems will get cleaner, they'll get more efficient, and uh, they'll get more economical. 
if we'll make that the goal of our policy instead of just going after certain industries and attacking them because that's the politically expedient thing to do. Well, Congressman, we're out of time. Next week, uh, just to give you a heads up when we have you on, let's talk about the Biden administration and Congress's, uh, at least the left side in Congress, push for new gun control uh, restrictions. We can talk about that. There'll be more about it to talk about when you come on next week. But I know you're up in Washington. Enjoy the balmy weather up there. You're not down here where it's frigid right now. But uh, hopefully you'll get back down uh, here into Arkansas within the next couple of weeks. Supposed to be in the 50s next week, Congressman, so be a good time to come on back home. Yeah, I think I'll be back in D.C., but I look forward to visiting with you. All right, we'll talk then. All right, Congressman Westerman, thank you very much. District 4 here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Always a pleasure to have him on. Uh, Tomorrow, hey, we're all the way to Thursday tomorrow. We'll get Jr. on, and we'll get on, uh, of course, uh, Seth uh, to talk uh, politics in the first hour, second hour. Joe and Duck are going to join me by phone, and we'll answer your car questions right here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Uh, get ready for the news that's coming up, and then talk about your money coming up uh, here in just a moment on 101.1 FM. The answer, I'll see you again tomorrow, 6 a.m.